welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in this same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, guys, we're in the most familiar passage. This Luke 2 is familiar, not just to Christians. This may be the most famous chapter ever written. This is thanks to Linus and others. This is something that lots of people have heard and know. And that presents a bit of a challenge for us. It's so familiar. It might be as Christina was reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, I know this one. I know this one by heart. I've already seen this. There's nothing to see here, you know. But have we really seen it? That's the question. Have we really looked at this passage? Have we really seen what Jesus' birth means? You know, all the original witnesses to Jesus' birth or the first ones to hear about Jesus' birth, none of them responded with apathy, right? The shepherds responded with joy and praise. Herod responded with anger. But none of them had kind of an apathetic like, oh, that's nice. This is a nice little scene. Nobody had that response. How can we, guys, be moved more by Jesus' birth? And, and, and the way we can be moved like these original people were is by doing what they did. So we can see in verses 15 through 20, the shepherds went to go see it, okay? Mary pondered these things in her heart, and then it says that the shepherds went away praising. So this morning, what we want to do, we want to see, we want to ponder, and we want to praise. And those three things are related, guys. That explosion of joy that the shepherds had when they left came from seeing and pondering. If you're not a Christian this morning, the way into the kingdom is to truly see Jesus, to ponder him, to see him as your need, to take hold of him in praise. And then for all of us who are believers, 
the way forward in your Christian life, the way to grow in any way, is to truly see Jesus again, ponder him, and praise him. So that's what we want to do this morning. First, you want to see him. You want to see what God has done. The angels invited the shepherds to go and see. Look at verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll see a baby wrapped in swallowing cloth lying in a manger. Um, we need to actually go and see. If anything like what the shepherds announced here, that a king has been born who is Christ the Lord, we need to at least go and see. Can you imagine the shepherds being told this by the angels and telling them that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of the world had come, and they were just like, ah, we're busy. We got busy lives as shepherds, you know? It's shearing season, and then we got to deworm them, and we got to pick all their ticks off. Like, we got things. We don't have time to go and see. It'd be crazy, right? This morning, with, along with the angels, we want to announce to you that the Savior of the world has been born. The Savior of the world, okay? He has come to set the whole world right. He's come to set your life right. And if anything like that has actually happened, you should go and see, right? You should take a look. You're not even going to look? You need to look. And the place to look is this historical document we have here, the Gospel of Luke. In the beginning of Luke, Luke says that he researched all these things, that he asked eyewitnesses, that he did history. Read the first few verses of the Gospel of Luke, and you'll see this is written history. And when the shepherds took this invitation, and they went, and they went and saw Jesus, it says that they saw exactly what they were told. They investigated, and they found him. And so will you this morning, if you'll just come with us to look. So we need to see. We also need to ponder. We can see here that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I mean, Mary's seen a lot of things. She's heard a lot of things. She's been through a lot of things. And she needs some time to just think about what the Lord has done, to really ponder it, to not take a superficial look, but to really think. And, and it says, treasure these things in her heart, to really take some time to see what they mean. So that's what I want to do briefly in this text. I want us to ponder three things. The power of God, the humility of God, and the love of God. First, the power of God. Did you guys notice how political those first few verses are? And I know you guys are cringy. You're like, I studiously, all Christmas, try to avoid anything of politics. And I get that. But notice how political this is. Verse 1, Caesar Augustus. Verse 2, Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Verse 4, King David. It's a very political beginning, right? And for you kids that weren't with us last week, us adults were in here, and we, we discovered why. Why is Jesus' birth so political like this? And the reason is, is that Jesus has come to be born king. Jesus has been born to be king. And not just to be king of your heart, to be king of the world. Also the king of your heart. But he's come to be the king of the world. He's come to set the whole world right, to make all things new. And we look in this text, and, and you see Jesus' family here, and they don't look very much like a royal family. It doesn't look very much like Jesus is ruling here, does it? It looks like they're just another family being pushed around by the Roman Empire, right? Israel at that time was under the oppression of Rome. One thing Rome loved to do is like extract as much tax money as possible. You know, good thing nobody does that now. But wanted to extract as much tax money as possible from those they conquered. And that's what this registry is about. You know, there's a strange thing about a registry and, and getting registered. And as if it wasn't oppressive enough for these people to be taxed, Rome had figured out, like, the most burdensome way possible to do it. For some reason, 
Joseph has to return to his family city of Bethlehem to be registered. Super inconvenient, right? There's got to be other ways to do this. So they had to travel 90 miles to go get registered for taxes. And you guys thought, like, the DMV lines were bad, right? This is a 90-mile trip, probably walking. I hope Nestor was there. You guys know there's the donkey idea that Mary wrote on the donkey, and the donkey's name's Nestor. And, like, it's completely made up, but it's beautiful. I hope she was on a donkey. I hope his name was Nestor, and he was cute. But they have to go 90 miles. So here's Mary, this, this late pregnant woman, about to give birth, and she has to make this ridiculous trek all the way to Bethlehem. Nothing says government oppression like making a late-term pregnant woman walk 90 miles for paperwork, right? <laughs> it looks like they're a family that's just being oppressed like any other family. They don't look like a royal family. Jesus doesn't look like a king at this point, right? But here's the thing. Even when evil looks so strong, like here, God is sovereign and reigning over it all. You guys realize that Caesar's burdensome decree actually ensured that Jesus would be born, not in Nazareth, their hometown, but in Bethlehem, as the prophet said. Isn't that amazing? You know, God's promises were actually fulfilled through Roman oppression. Thanks, Augustus. Merry Christmas, right? Here's the thing. Jesus was already ruling from the manger. Jesus was already ruling from the womb at this point. And I just want to say this morning, I don't know what all you guys are going through. I know some of you are dealing with some incredible, oppressive, just burdensome things. But if Jesus was ruling from the womb, how much more is he ruling now and going to set all things right for you? How much more is he going to rule and, and remove the burden from you? God is still in control. So we should ponder God's power. Let's ponder God's humility. Take a look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Contrary to our pictures and our cards and everything, this is not a cute place to have a baby. There's nothing cute about this, okay? It's not a cute place to have a baby. We don't have all the details. We don't know that there was like a mean innkeeper or any of that kind of stuff. All we know is that Mary ended up having to give birth in a place there were animals, and we know that because of the manger there. There was no room in the inn, and, and they laid him in a manger. We don't know if this was a stable or a cave, or, or it could have even been outside, for all we know, which would be even crazier, right? Um, they laid him in a feed trough. If you guys want to make your nativity scenes more realistic, last week we talked about you could add a dragon, and uh, Alfonso actually texted me a picture of their nativity scene with an actual dragon in it. It was really <laughs> epic. I can explain to you later why that's, why that's appropriate. But if you want to make it more realistic even than that, or to add more to it, go buy your local dairy, pick up some cow manure, rub it at the base. Because the smell of Christmas is not pine, okay? This is crazy, right? I mean, think of, I was thinking of Joseph, and those of you who are fathers who are dads, think of the shame Joseph feels in all this. To not be able to provide Mary with a decent place to have a baby. You know, like when we had our first son, we didn't even want a used crib. People were like, oh, we got a crib. It's like, nope, new baby, new crib. Everything needs to be new. Everything needs to be perfect, right? You have your second one, you're like, yeah, I'll take that used crib. You know, but for the first one, you have to have this. Guys, imagine laying your brand new baby in a manger. It's unthinkable, right? It's a feed trough for animals. It's humbling. It's humiliating to Joseph not being able to provide a decent place for Mary to give birth and a decent place to lay their kid. But ultimately, guys, this isn't just about the humiliation of Joseph. 
This is about the humility of God. Because this is God's birthplace, right? This is God the Son come in the flesh. This is God's birthplace. And the angels remind us of who he is, who this baby is and where he's from. Look at verse 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in their field, keeping their watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Those are a bunch of other angels, right? They all appear praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, this baby, guys, is God himself. Come down from his throne. You guys remember the scene in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah goes in and the angels are circling around the throne and they, they have to cover their feet with a set of wings and, and, and shield their eyes with a set of wings and with another set of wings they fly and they're constantly going around God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Unapproachable holiness. These same angels, guys, that showed up this day would have been those angels that were before around his throne and they followed him down as his entourage, right? To this place where he would be born. He came down from a place we could never enter, and he came down to us. And this same holy God became one of us, and he was born in a stable and laid in a manger. We couldn't go to him, so he came down to us. Listen to this. Listen to what uh, Jerome, so Jerome was a 5th century church father, so like 1,500 years ago, or actually a little bit more than that. 5th century church father Jerome, this was what he said about this passage. He said, Jesus was born in a dung heap, because he knew where to find us. Isn't that powerful? Jesus was born in a dung heap because he knew where to find us. That dung heap that Jesus met us in was our sin. And he came down to find us there. And he didn't come to visit like maybe a rich person comes and operates a soup kitchen and then runs home and disinfects himself back to his mansion. Like Jesus didn't visit us like that. Jesus is God come in the flesh to sit with us in our mess. Right? And not only that, he took the filth of our sin and he covered himself with it. He wore the dirty rags of our sin in our place on the cross. That's what he came to do. Ponder the humility of God. Lastly, ponder the love of God. Let's look at this gift. This gift of Jesus is for everyone. Verse 10 says that. And the angel said, isn't this beautiful? Think of all the fears that you have. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This gift of Jesus is for everyone, right? Uh, the shepherds were not highly regarded at that time because they were kind of shady, you know? They're off in the field all the time. Who knows what they're doing? You know, who knows they are, who they are? You know, they're kind of dirty and stuff like that. Jesus is a gift for everyone. What kind of gift is he? If we look at verse 14. Jesus is a gift of God's pleasure. Look at, look at 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You might see that and go, okay, peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. And you might think like, oh, maybe this gift doesn't apply to me. I'm not sure God's real pleased with me right now. The kind of life I've had, the kind of things I've done. And maybe even this morning you're thinking, God cannot be much very pleased with me. Um, verse 14 might sound like uh, Santa's naughty list. 
and nice list. Like if you're on his nice list, then the gift of Jesus is for you. The gift of Jesus only belongs to those who have been good, you might think. You know, a sort of uh, Santa legalism, right? If you're thinking that, guys, if you're thinking that Jesus isn't a gift for you because there's no way God could possibly be pleased with you, you're missing the whole point of why he came. Jesus came so that God will be pleased with you. Jesus came so that God will be pleased with you. That's why he was born as a baby, by the way. Jesus came as a baby because we didn't just need the filth of our sin removed. We needed our lives lived over again. Anybody need their life lived over again? Maybe certain portions of it, you could own that, you know? Wasn't so good those years, you know? Haven't been at my best the last 10 years, right? It's an understatement, right? Jesus came to live our life over again. Because to have peace with God, we don't just need to have no sin, have our sin removed. We actually need to have a perfect, righteous life that we've lived, and we haven't. So he came to do that. If you look at the last verse of this chapter, it says that Jesus grew up, and he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What's he doing there? Jesus, as he grew into adulthood, he obeyed God perfectly in a way that was appropriate for each stage of his development. He was actually reliving your life. He was, when he was a baby, he was a perfect baby. He was a toddler. He's a perfect toddler. He's a five-year-old. Perfect five-year-old. He was a 15-year-old. He's a perfect 15-year-old, which is a lot harder to do, by the way. <laughs> and then as he grew, he was perfect at each stage. What's he doing? He is reliving your life. He's living the life you should have lived. That's what he came for. That's why he came as a baby, was to gradually do that, to be our Savior. And that's why he couldn't be our Savior when Herod tried to kill him. You know, he couldn't have Christmas and the cross in one thing, right? Because he had to grow and he had to live a perfect life. He had to live a life of righteousness that he would give to you. So that at the end of his life, he exchanged places with you. He took the rags of your life and your sin on himself. He answered for your sin as if it was his own. So that now, today, you can wear his perfect life as a robe that you didn't do, and you can answer for his righteousness as, as if it were your own. This is what Luther called the great exchange, right? It's a great exchange for us, not a great exchange for him. We exchange our sin for his righteousness. It's a gift, guys. It's all grace. And so he says here, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace, among those with whom he is pleased. Guys, if, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, if you're in him today, he is pleased with you. He's well pleased with you. Remember the, the baptism when Jesus got baptized. God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him now, you're inside of Christ in such a way that he is well pleased with you because you're in the one with whom he is well pleased. That's the gift. It's all grace. But you know, guys, I don't think we recognize this enough, but the gospel is a gift that humbles us too. It humbles us. It's, it's a gift that we have to acknowledge our need to receive. Imagine a little later today, some of your kids are waiting very patiently right now for their gifts. Imagine later today, a loved one gives you a gift and you unwrap it, and it's a book called Solution for Selfishness. That's humbling. It's a humbling gift to get, right? Unless you ask for it. Some of you would, you know, CCF book or something. But, or let's say you open a gift and it says, good news for gluttons. You're like, thank you, I guess. You know, it's humbling. Guys, the gospel is even more humbling because it says we don't have it. 
in any area. We need Jesus not only to take away all our sin, but to do our whole life for us. We have to admit our need for Jesus. So let me just ask you this morning, do you need Jesus like that? How many of you guys need Jesus like that? You just need him to like take away your sin, and you need him to give you that perfect righteousness, and then to know that he's done it. He did it. That's what we celebrate today. That's what I need. So let's receive him as a gift with joy, the way the shepherds did. And then, so we've seen, we've pondered, and I'm going to be real brief here. We're going to praise him. We're going to praise him. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. One thing to notice about praising is the shepherds didn't go away and go like, man, we're going to try really hard to praise this guy. You know, like, this is going to be tough, but we're going to just bear down and we're going to praise him, you know? No, it was spontaneous, right? Because praising Jesus is part of the way we enjoy Jesus. You guys ever notice that? You ever notice the way you like, not just on Sunday, but you want to sing, you want to speak of him, you want to worship him, you want to praise him, right? We have this urge. It's, it's a part of enjoying him. C.S. Lewis put this urge this way. I love this. This urge to praise. He says, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise doesn't merely express it, but completes the enjoyment, right? To praise him kind of completes our enjoyment in him. He says, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered some new author and not be able to tell anybody how good he is. Or to come around the turn of a road and see some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and have to keep silent because the people with you care nothing for it. To hear a good joke and have no one to share it with. Right? The praise of Jesus is part of the way we enjoy Jesus. Which answers the question, and it's a question that I think many would have. What are we doing here on Christmas? You know? And the answer is, we just really, really love worshiping Jesus. This is not about like somehow we're getting some extra points with God for church attendance on Christmas, some sort of religious overtime pay, you know, something like that. No, it's because we really, really enjoy worshiping Jesus. Amen? So let's do that now. We're going to praise him for what we've seen, for what we've pondered. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing for us to do on Christmas because it's a reenactment of the fact that we're taking Jesus as the gift that he is for us, our salvation, that we're taking hold of him, and then we'll praise him with song and the way we love each other. Let's pray. Father, we say this all the time, and we say it in a special way on Christmas, but we just thank you so much for the gift of your son, that you would give your own son, the one in whom you are well pleased to us, to be treated so shamefully in this place and, and, and so um, brutally, and that he would ultimately be our um, offering for sin, that he would turn away the wrath we deserve, that he would remove our sin completely. We just thank you for the gift of your son. And Jesus, we want to say, we want to say happy birthday. We don't know if we got the day right, but we're so thankful that you would come and be born as a human and stay a human, which is unbelievable, God and man forever, that you would take on humanity and become one of us permanently, and that you would offer your whole self for us, that you offered yourself on the cross, that you freely gave yourself so that we would be well-pleasing to you, that we would be able to enjoy you forever in the world to come. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for giving us the eyes to see, the hearts to ponder, and the mouths to praise. 
You're the reason why we even noticed Jesus, that we inquired more, that we pondered, and then we took hold of him with joy. That was your doing, and we thank you so much for that. That's an amazing gift as well. We pray, Lord, as we take um, the Lord's Supper and as we worship, Lord, we pray that this would be a fragrant offering to you and that it would stir the joy of your people. I pray for anyone here that doesn't yet know your son, Jesus. I just pray that today would be the day that they would just see how just obviously good news this is and how free he is for the taking it. They would take hold of him, even as we take hold of the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.